Our Father, we would ask that you would apply your word to our hearts tonight. So grateful that you know us completely, even before there's a word that we can form in our own minds and consciousness. You've already known it completely. So you know whatever needs there are, and we ask that you would bring your word as a light to our path. May that be a balm of healing. May it be the courage to strengthen the weakened knees. Whatever the need is tonight, we ask that you would apply your word to us. And most of all, may the encouragement of the scriptures give us hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. We've come to chapter 17 in the Westminster Confession on the Perseverance of the Saints. That's printed in your outline, which is in the announcement sheet. Or it's also in the back of the hymnal. I invite you to turn there, chapter 17, and also we'll be looking in Philippians 1 and Philippians 2. Reading first uh, the chapter 17 of the Perseverance of the Saints. Those whom God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace but shall certainly persevere in it to the end and be eternally saved. The perseverance of the saints does not depend upon their own free will, but on the unchangeableness of the decree of election, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, on the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, on the continuing presence of the Spirit and the seed of God within them, and on the nature of the covenant of grace. These are grounds of the certainty and infallibility of their perseverance. Nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the pervasiveness of the corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means by which they are to be preserved, fall into grievous sins for a time and continue in them. In so doing, they incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit. Some measure of God's graces and comforts is taken from them. They have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded. They harm others and give them occasion to sin and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. You've heard the expression, once saved, always saved. Is that true or is it not? This is the chapter in the Westminster Confession that helps us sort through these questions. If somebody means by that expression, once you're saved, you're always saved. If you mean by that, well, you've, one day, there was a day in the past when I signed on the dotted line. I went forward for an altar call. I responded to Billy Graham. Is it true that everyone who was baptized and grew up in a Christian home, who's made profession of faith, will be in heaven? No, Jesus said there are tares among the wheat. Jesus said there will be many on that last day who say to me, Lord, Lord, thinking they're Christians. And he will say to them, I never knew you. But if you mean by that expression, one who was saved is always saved. If you mean by that someone who has had an inward, genuine work of the Holy Spirit and new birth and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, they will be in heaven. You cannot thwart God's plan to save his people. We're left with a question, though, but how do you know the difference? 
As we began the Westminster Confession, we were reminded that the Confession is set up and organized in a covenantal model in the sense that first they address all the works of God in our salvation and then they come to the our response and our work. And it's the same model in this whole chapter. On the question of the perseverance of the saints, they take the first two section and let's look vertical. Let's look at the work of God first. And then section three will come to the work, our work, uh, the work of the believer. Tonight we'll just look at the first two, the certainty of the perseverance of the saints, section one. The grounding of the perseverance of the saints is section two, and then next time, the experience of the perseverance of the saints, the work of the believer. First then, the first section, the certainty of the perseverance of the saints. Those whom God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere in it to the end and be eternally saved. The certainty of the perseverance of a true believer is guaranteed by God. Once God has begun his work in a believer, he will complete it. Look, that's what Philippians 1.6 is, is telling us. Philippians 1.6 I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm confident of this. I'm sure of this. He who started the work, he will finish it. I'm sure of it. Jeremiah 32, 40, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. 1 Peter 1.5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. If God has given a new heart, a person is converted and justified, their faith is in Christ, that person, that believer, will never be lost, but will continue on in repentance and faith. Once God has begun the, that work in the believer, God will not be thwarted. Betty Elliott had an expression, God has no drawer of half-finished projects. We all start projects, and that, that gets put in a pile. We all start this book, and that gets put in a pile. And We have piles all over the house of half-finished projects. God has no drawer of half-finished projects. Once he's begun the work, he will carry it on to completion, and the apostle says, and I'm sure of it. And therefore, even though the Christian's growth is uneven, and even though it's attacked, the believer's going to persevere. The confession uses this language, he can neither totally nor finally fall from the state of grace. Those are key words, because it is assuming that a believer can partially fall away, temporarily fall away, but not completely and not totally, even though the sins may be severe. David was a true believer and fell into adultery as well as murder by proxy. Radical sins, serious consequences for his family line, for the whole nation. And yet God brought David to repentance. His falling into sin was not total nor final. John Mark left the Apostle Paul on a missionary journey, went into the world. But that's not the end of the story. 
Later, he's returned to repentance and faith, and Paul would write, he's of great value to me. He would go on to write the Gospel of Mark. God's elect, God's true believers will never totally nor finally fall away. But we, looking at another professing believer, can't tell if that one who is backsliding and going into the world and their love has grown cold. Is that temporary? Or is that apostasy which is final and from which they will never repent? From our perspective, you see, they look the same. If you were looking at both Peter and Judas, both disciples that professed to follow Christ, both had been elected to be of the twelve apostles, to be with Christ for years, both had been with Christ at the Last Supper, both deny Christ, and afterwards both weep for what they have done. But what's the difference between them? From our perspective, they look the same. Well, Scripture tells us there's two big differences. Judas was not repentance, it was remorse. It was just regrets for what he had done. It drove him to suicide because remorse isn't repentance. Remorse is just feeling sorry for the consequences of sin. It's, it's feeling sorry for yourself. It's self-pity. It's not repentance. It's not coming to Christ for cleansing and forgiveness and mercy. But what's the other difference between Judas and Peter? Both men betrayed Christ. Both men wept for they, what they had done. And both appear like they might never recover. Except what Jesus had told Peter in Luke twenty-two thirty-one: Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, Strengthen your brothers. But that's putting everything that Satan is going to try and attempt to destroy these believers against Christ's power. It's better translated, but I myself have prayed for you, the Lord of glory, who's going to crush Satan under his feet. There's no doubt about your return and your repentance, Peter, because I'm going to pray for you. That's the difference between Judas and Peter. God knows the difference between those who are going into the world and backsliding, being deceived by sin, who are yet true believers and they will not totally or finally fall away. Versus those who are apostatizing and will stay in their sin and rebellion. From our perspective, they may look the same. But God knows those who are his. And God will bring his elect back to himself. The certainty of the perseverance of the saints. Because it's the work of God. The second section in the confession expands the certainty of the perseverance of the saints. It speaks of the grounding of the perseverance of the saints. The perseverance of the saints does not depend upon their own free will, but upon the unchangeableness of the decree of election 
flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, on the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, on the continuing presence of the Spirit and the seed of God within them, and on the nature of the covenant of grace. These are grounds of the certainty and the infallibility of their perseverance. When it writes, uh, depends not on their own free will, think of uh, not on their own strength. We have no strength in ourselves to finish to the end, to overcome Satan and sin in the world. It's only when we're weak that we are strong. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So it's not in that sense, but the grounding of the perseverance of the saints. Remember, we're looking vertical. Why are, why are going to believers going to finish to the end? And here we have each person of the Trinity is committed to it. The ground of our perseverance is, first of all, the work of God, the Father. In two ways, the election of the Father, the unchangeableness of the decree of election. God the Father, before time, determined a specific number to be saved, and he gave those to his Son for the work of redemption as his inheritance, Isaiah 53, and Christ went to the cross to die for them. And he will lose none that, that he has come to save. Jesus said, John six thirty seven, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. I love to read at the burial of a believer, I will lose none of all that the Father has given me, but I will raise him up on the last day. John six thirty nine. Second Timothy two nineteen. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal: the Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. Ephesians one four. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. And so 1 Thessalonians 5.23, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. He's going to bring you to the end because of his election. He elected you, believer, to salvation before time, and that's the whole process. It wasn't just your redemption that was part of his election, but his election also means that you will be restored from all sin, your salvation from beginning to end with all of its ups and downs and all the times of repentance and restoration are all foreordained by God. He's going to complete the work that he began, began in you because it's all been decreed. Piper writes, not only is God willing and supremely able to save us, for, save forever all of us who trust in him, but also conspires with the Son to keep us trusting to the end. We're not left without a shield against the enemy, nor are we left to hold this shield of faith merely by our own strength. God will always see to it that faith has the victory and that his children have faith. The ground of our perseverance is, first of all, the work of the Father. That's his election. And you notice also the language, the love of the Father, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father. That thrilling doxology of praise we read earlier, Romans 8.33, you'll never be separated from his love. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His will to his elect, his unmerited love to us, is unchangeable. He will not change his mind. His love will not let you go. R.C. Sproul, no matter how much we let him down, or how much we fail to persevere on our own, he's given us a love that will not let us go. If it were up to us, we would let go. But he will not let go. The ground of your perseverance is the work of God the Father. And secondly, the ground of your perseverance is the work of God the Son. The confession, again, it's on, based on the efficacy of the merit and the intercession of Jesus Christ. Efficacy, uh, that which is efficacious, that's the cause, the effect is the result. Our perseverance is the result, and that depends upon the efficacy, the value, the merit of Christ's work and prayers. Again, two aspects, Christ's past work cleanses us from all sin on the cross. Believers are justified, you're pardoned, you're cleansed, that you stand in a relationship before God under no condemnation, Romans 8.1. We've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all, Hebrews 10.10. For by one offering he's perfected for all times those who are sanctified, Hebrews 10.14. It's not only his past work upon the cross, which is the guarantee of your perseverance, but it's his present work of prayer. It's based on, again in the confession, on the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is able to save completely or forever to the utmost those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. That's why you will persevere to the end. 2 Thessalonians 3.5, may the Lord direct your heart into God's love and Christ's perseverance. But I have prayed for you. What a comfort that Christ's prayers are personal. When he speaks to the disciples on that night and he tells them, Satan has desired to sift you. He's coming for you. You there is plural, all of you. And Jesus responds, but I have prayed for you, singular, each one, by name. If any, again, the individual sin, we have an advocate with Jesus Christ, 1 John 2, 1. So when Jesus said to Peter, but I have prayed for you, that's not an isolated case. That's the typical example of Jesus Christ praying for his people all the time. Our intercessor in heaven, Jesus Christ, doesn't wait for you to ask him for help. He sees you when you are in need, even before you know that you're in need, even before you have a clue that you're in danger. He's praying for you. There are many times in your life when Satan will lay a trap, when unbelievers want to trip you up, when you have plenty of sin within us. 
we need prayer and we don't even know that we need prayer. And Jesus Christ is praying. The comfort that we will persevere is not in us. It's in Jesus Christ. His prayers are personal and his prayers are effectual. They're always answered. Why were all 11 of those disciples restored and sent out as Christ apostles? Because Christ prayed for them. J.C. Ryle, the continued existence of grace in a believer's heart is a great standing miracle. His enemies are so mighty, his strength is so small. The world is so full of snares and his heart is so weak that it seems at first sight impossible for him to reach heaven. But he has a mighty friend at the right hand of God. The ground of our perseverance is the work of God the Father. He's elected you to finish, and his love won't let you go. The ground of our perseverance is the work of God the Son. He's purchased this, his, your salvation, and he's prayed for you that you will finish. And third, the ground of our perseverance is the work of God the Spirit. It's based on the the language of the confession, the continuing presence of the Spirit and the seed of God within them. He who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 9, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. He cannot sin because he's been born of God. If God has given a new birth, there's been a radical change in that person, and it's permanent. True believers cannot go into apostasy and be lost forever. It's not that we don't sin, we do. But a believer, because of the work of God, because of the work of the Holy Spirit within him, will be brought to repentance, will be brought to sorrow for sin, and will press on after holiness. Look across the page of Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your salvation. You're not working to to accomplish your salvation. He's already writing to believers But in a sense, finish this race that you've started. Bring it on to completion. You must, and you must do this humbly and with fear and with trembling. This is great work. Get to work. Strive to enter. Dr. Silva commenting on this verse said, It's impossible to tone down the force with which Paul here points to our own conscious activity and salvation. The thought should give us pause. Our salvation, which we confess to be God's from beginning to end, is here described as something that we must bring about. But the next verse goes on. For how are we going to do this? Here's the assurance. Because God the Holy Spirit and the heart of believer is giving you both the willing and the doing. Of his good pleasure. B.B. Warfield paraphrases it. Let it be with godly awe in your hearts and reverent fear of mind that you engage in this solemn work. For it is, you remember, none other than God himself who prompts you to the effort. 
whose it is to effect within you both the wish and the performance. Ground of your perseverance, believer, is the work of God the Father, it's the work of God the Son, it's the work of God the Holy Spirit. And the confession summarizes the the ground of our perseverance. That's the nature of the new covenant. It's the nature of the covenant of grace. Jeremiah 32, 40, And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. Hebrews 8.10, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them upon their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. In the new covenant, there's a greater obedience to God because God has taken his law and written it on your heart. So you will want to obey him. My laws, I will write on your hearts. The difference between the old covenant with Moses with the new covenant in Christ. It's not that the old covenant was law and today there's no law. Moses, the law was external in many ways. Yes, the Holy Spirit regenerated believers and gave them a desire to obey. Think of the Psalms of David, of course. But in a greater way, the law of God and the new covenant is now internal. There's a greater ability to obey. That's the nature of the new covenant. God will write his law into our minds upon our hearts, verse 10, the deepest part of it. Three times God's saying, I will do this. I will write it on their hearts. God is committed to this. He's committed to his children walking in all areas of obedience in all areas of their life. To fulfill Ezekiel 36, 27, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. My laws, same laws as the Old Testament, but now they're internalized. And you have God, the Holy Spirit, living within you to transform you into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, 2 Corinthians 3.18. To be in the new covenant, you have a greater surety, the Lord Jesus Christ. God, the Trinity, has accomplished your salvation, has applied your salvation, has guaranteed your salvation. The nature of the new covenant is that God then will cause you to persevere. He's written his law on your heart so that you will desire to press on in holiness. And that's why the scriptures can speak of the assurance of the perseverance of the saints. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. John 10.28, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he will do it. You are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, 1 Peter 1.5. We need to often remember that 
to persevere, to press on in repentance and faith is ultimately a vertical matter. It's only ultimately because of the work of God in the heart of true believers. R.C. Sproul said there's enough remnant of sin that we still are vulnerable to temptation. Left to our own weak wills, we would not persevere. But God's under oath to complete the work that he's begun in you. As Chad Van Dixorn wrote, all of this gives rise to a certainty, even to an infallibility of knowledge that God's people will not fall away. It is in the context of this eternal decree that salvation from a triune God, this everlasting covenant that we are to read the great promises of the Bible. This is how we to understand John 10, 28, where Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. This is how we're to hear 2 Thessalonians 3.3, where we are told that the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Perseverance of the saints is guaranteed infallibly, infallibly by the work of the triune God. We also need to remember that when we do not persevere, when we do not repent, of our sin and we grow in callousness toward God and toward his word. If you are the Lord's, God is going to bring anything that he needs to into your life to bring you to repentance. If you are his chosen one, he's going to bring you to himself. He's jealous for his love. You remember Jonah was told to go to Nineveh. He had a choice. He was either going to go the easy way or the hard way, but he was going to get there. He decided he was going to run away and go the opposite direction. And you know the account. The storm came up. They threw him in the water. The large fish swallowed him. But where did the large fish go? To Nineveh. The large fish regurgitated him on the shore, and there he was. God will win. So don't harden yourself. God may have to bring harder and harder lessons to the lives of his children, but he will bring them to repentance. And that's how you can pray for those who have left their faith, who are in the world, who are deceived by sin. That God would bring whatever he needs to bring them to repentance. And that's our hope. God will win. He's under oath to bring all of his elect home. Jesus said, I won't miss any on the day of resurrection. Not one. John Newton has a beautiful metaphor on the perseverance of the believer as a metaphor of an architect building a building. The architect steers the progress to the end that he's designed, and in time, the project will be completed, the scaffolding will be removed, the debris all cleaned up, the discarded building supplies taken away, the windows and floors polished, the building is beautiful and completed. He writes... 
Men indeed often plan for what lack of skill or ability or from unforeseen disappointments they're unable to execute. But nothing can disappoint the heavenly builder, nor will he ever be reproached with forsaking the work of his own hands or beginning that which he could not or would not accomplish. Grace always finishes what the divine architect planned. As the builder, Grace never walks off the job or leaves the project unfinished. The Christian life is always progressing behind scaffolding and debris that clouds our vision and makes it difficult for us to gauge the work of Grace in our lives and the lives of other Christians. Yet we're confident that even when it feels like the construction has stopped, Grace continues to labor. The work of grace progresses behind the scaffolding until the great unveiling. This event is on schedule, and the infallible architect will deliver the end product all by grace. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the comfort that this is. For we know in ourselves that we are weak, rebellious, stubborn, so often distracted by the world and the remaining sin within us. As Sproul reminded us, We're so weak in ourselves, and if it was left to us, we wouldn't finish. How we praise you that our perseverance in finishing to the end is because of the triune God. It's the very nature of the covenant that we are in with you. We pray for each one that we will be stirred again tonight to press on with fear to accomplish and work out our salvation, but to do so with the joy and the confidence and the strength, knowing that it is you who will give us both the willing and the doing of your good pleasure. We pray for those tonight who we know and love, who are not walking with Christ. We ask that you will lovingly bring anything into their lives that will bring them back to repentance and faith, to that relationship with you, because you were jealous for your name and jealous for your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.